Well, when uh, Kate Cooker was interviewing me for a newsletter article recently, she asked me, what's the sermon that you always wanted to preach but never had the nerve to? It's a good question. And I tell you, at that moment, I didn't really um, want to mention anything at that point. And truly, as I've been thinking about it, I'm still not sure what that sermon would be. But I do know that this morning's sermon falls into a completely different category. It would probably be one of those sermons that I never really wanted to preach. But in faithfulness to this morning's lectionary text, here we are. And sometimes it's really good to dig into something that you're uncomfortable with. That has been my experience with this text this week. The story itself is straightforward enough. It depicts a wedding in first century Palestine. And although our knowledge of wedding customs uh, of that time and place are rather limited, it appears that this story takes place near the bridegroom's house. The wedding festivities are all underway, and the bridesmaids are just waiting for that moment when the bridegroom arrives, presumably with his bride. The bride is never mentioned here, but we presume that she's along for the ride, too. The job, then, of these bridesmaids is to escort them, the bride and the groom, with their lamps brightly lit to the groom's house, where the celebration is going to continue and where they're eventually going to be living together. Well, all seems to be going well until the bridegroom doesn't show up as he's expected, when he's expected. Now, for unknown reasons, he's late which it doesn't seem to cause a great deal of anxiety because the bridemaids are relaxed enough to get drowsy and they fall asleep. Finally, at midnight, the groom arrives and the bridesmaids, they wake up and they jump up and they light their lamps to greet him. But there's a problem. Due to the delay, Five of the bridesmaids have run out of oil for their lamp. They didn't bring any extra long, and they used up all that they had while they were waiting. So the bridegroom has come, and they have no light to greet him. Well, the other bridesmaids who have enough oil aren't inclined to share. So the bridesmaids who don't have any, they rush off to buy some oil at a village shop. Hopefully there's something opened at midnight. By the time they get everything worked out, it's too late. Everybody's already inside celebrating, and they are locked out. When they knock at the door, they're denied entrance to the wedding banquet. Meanwhile, the five other bridesmaids have met the groom as planned, and they're all inside celebrating, having the time of their life. So, how is the story sitting with you this morning? I see some interesting nods. I've got to admit that it is not one of my favorite stories, mostly because it seems so harsh. I mean, here we have five bridesmaids who do nothing worse than fail to think ahead. How many of us have had that problem before, have failed to think ahead? I mean, who knew the bridegroom was going to be delayed? And for this, they are not only called foolish. They are excluded 
from the wedding party. I mean, how fair is this? And the five bridesmaids that are praised because they are prepared, well, frankly, I don't think they're too nice. They refuse to share with their sisters in need, and they send them off on a wild goose chase in the middle of the night. How praiseworthy is that? Okay, so maybe I'm getting a little hung up on details. It's happened before. It'll probably happen again. And maybe it's just time to remind myself that, you know, Jesus did tell some pretty unsettling stories in order to make a point. Who knows? Maybe this is one of those stories. And if it is, what kind of point was Jesus trying to make? Well, in order to figure this out, I think it's helpful to look at the context in which Jesus told this story. He is with his disciples. It's a private gathering. They're on the Mount of Olives, and he's saying goodbye. His ministry is coming to an end. He will be leaving his followers, and times are going to be hard. He's already talked about that in the preceding chapters that lead up to this story. But he tells them he will be back. He's coming again. And when he does, he will bring in the fullness of God's kingdom that they've already begun to taste here and now. But in the meantime, as they await his return, as they await for God's kingdom to fully come, how are his disciples to live? What are they to do? How are they to be while they wait? Well, this morning's story addresses this issue very directly. How to wait? Well, at the end of the story, Jesus concludes with this sentence. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So it seems that Jesus is telling his disciples to stay awake. I suppose that's good news for the insomniacs among us. But... I really don't think that lack of sleep is what Jesus had in mind. After all, all ten of the bridesmaids, the wise and the foolish, you know, they all fall asleep. Now, the main problem isn't the falling asleep part. The main problem is the running out of oil part. Some of the bridesmaids ran out of oil, so they weren't able to greet the bridegroom with their light. They weren't prepared. They weren't ready when the bridegroom finally did arrive. Now, this was an important message for Matthew and for the people to whom he was originally writing. At the time the Gospel of Matthew was written, probably between 80 and 85 AD, Jesus was long gone. He was no longer with them. And times were very, very difficult. Many of the things that Jesus had predicted about the end had already happened, and they had lived through it. A decade and a half earlier, the Romans, in response to Jewish rebellion going on there at that time, had laid siege to Jerusalem. They surrounded the city, and no people, no food, no water went in and out of the city for a number of years. Can you imagine living in conditions like that? And when the Romans finally did break through the city wall, They destroyed Jerusalem, and they destroyed the temple. And so you can imagine that the hearers of Matthew's gospel 
are eagerly and probably wearily waiting for Jesus to come again to restore them, to restore their temple, to restore their beloved city. And they're wondering, why hasn't Jesus come back yet? Why the delay? Well, some 30 years earlier, the church in Thessalonica was wondering the very same thing. And in this morning's scripture reading that we heard read from 1 Thessalonians, we catch a glimpse of this community eagerly awaiting Jesus' return. And they're also disturbed that it hasn't happened yet. Now, their biggest anxiety seems to be that people in their faith community are beginning to die, either of natural causes or perhaps because of persecution. But the problem was they were dying before Jesus had returned, and this wasn't the way it was supposed to be. Jesus was supposed to have returned yesterday. They were expecting him any time or wondering why it hasn't already been. And they're all supposed to be there alive to greet him. And so their concern is, what will happen to those of us who die before Jesus comes again? Will we be able to be part of this new reality that Jesus will bring about? Or are we all going to miss out on it? And here we are, 2,000 years later, still waiting. Some folks think the waiting is almost over. Just look what's happening in our world. The hurricanes, the wars, the earthquakes, the famines, the violence, the bloodshed. And we hear the voice of prophets around us saying, look at the signs of the time. The end is near. And in fact, some people have made some pretty good money predicting when that day will come. Never mind that they haven't got it right yet. And then there are other folks who think, what's the point? What's the point of dwelling on all this? It's been 2,000 years since Jesus lived and died and rose from the dead. I mean, sure, he said he was coming back, but it hasn't happened yet. Clearly, someone along the line was mistaken. Might as well just forget about it and get on with life. So, in the midst of this debate... What do you think? Where do you think that Jesus would weigh in? Well, the story we heard this morning gives us a clue. Jesus assures his disciples through the telling of the story that the bridegroom will come. He may be delayed, but he's going to show up. And in the meantime, don't fritter away your time and energy trying to figure out when he's going to get here. Because no one, no one but God alone knows the day or the hour. Instead, focus on getting ready. And you know, that's the question that comes to us this morning through the story. Get ready. But what does that mean? What does it mean to get ready? You know, as a child, I heard this story and its call to get ready, and here's what I got from it. Watch out. 
Watch yourself. You don't want to be caught doing something you shouldn't be doing at the moment when Jesus comes again. Anybody else ever hear that? Yeah. That's what being ready was about. It was about being good so that you wouldn't get caught when the time came. It was about fear. And as a result, I can tell you that Jesus' return was not something that I looked forward to at all. Now, the prophet Amos, whose fiery words we heard this morning, comes at it from a slightly different angle. His people, the people of Israel, were truly looking forward to what they called the day of the Lord. Oh, they were waiting it with eager anticipation. This was the day when God would intervene decisively in history on their behalf, bringing them deliverance and bringing God's enemies, who just also happened to be their enemies, judgment and disaster. And then along comes Amos this herdsman from the countryside turned prophet of God to unsettle the waters. He tells his people that they've got it all wrong. You think that the day of of the Lord is going to be a day of light? Guess again. It is going to be a day of darkness as long as you keep on getting rich on the backs of those who are poor. Look, what God desires is not your solemn assemblies. It is not your burnt offerings. It is not even your singing. What God desires is justice, especially for those on the margins, especially for the most vulnerable ones among you, for those who are being oppressed. What God desires is for justice to roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. In other words, Amos believed his people needed to prepare. They needed to get ready for the day of the Lord, not by putting on external expressions of piety, but by putting on and by living out the values that are most important to God that are at the heart of who God is. Which brings us back to our text in Matthew and its call for us to get ready. Is it a call for us to be careful so that we don't get caught, so that we don't get locked out in the end? Is it a call for us to look forward to that day when we, the righteous, will be vindicated and our enemies punished? Or is it a call to carry the light that we've been given, preparing for the fulfillment of Christ's purposes by doing what Jesus did, by seeking God's kingdom here and now? You know, the story that Jesus told about the bridesmaids is not the only time in his ministry that he talks about light and lamps. The imagery of lamps and light takes us right back to the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus tells his disciples, You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under a bushel basket. 
They put it on a lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they might see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And through the teaching that Jesus goes on to give throughout that Sermon on the Mount, we learn what letting our light shine looks like. It is about hungering and thirsting for God. It is about showing mercy as God has been merciful to us. It is about choosing to be peacemakers even when that choice is costly. It's about loving and praying for our enemies and trusting God for what we need. In short, it's about living the ways of the kingdom now as if it's already fully here, not with fear, not with foreboding, but with joyous expectation of the day when God's kingdom will fully come and God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What it looks like to live with that kind of joyous expectation is depicted in a children's story by Margaret Wilde. It's called Let the Celebrations Begin. And I first came across this book at the public library in Whitesburg, Kentucky, when my children were little. And I first wondered whether this book was really appropriate for children because it takes place in a Nazi concentration camp in Poland in World War II, and it's based on a true story. But as I read it, I came to see that it was less a story about the horrors of life in a concentration camp and more about hope and joyous expectation. It's true that the characters in the story, women and children, are suffering. Their hair is shorn, their clothes are ragged, and their arms and their legs are thin as chicken bones because they are starving. By this point, there is no food left in the camp. In spite of this desperate situation, the women in this camp have a vision. There are rumors on the wind that their camp will soon be liberated. With their hearts, these women see freedom. And because of what they see with their hearts, these women begin planning a big celebration for the day when they are freed. At the celebration, every person will be given a chicken to eat. And every child will be given a toy. Now, none of the children in the camp have toys. So, and some of the children who came to the uh, camp very early when they were young don't even know what toys are. Now, the women, of course, can't begin preparing the chicken because there is no food in the camp, no food at all. But they can make toys. So in the evenings, after the guards are asleep, the women set to work. They cut off pieces of cloth from their already ragged clothes, and they begin sewing them together to make stuffed elephants and bears and dolls for the children. Their hope of freedom 
and their expectation that it will be coming give the women courage to work together to prepare for that long-awaited day. And that is the invitation that we hear this morning, to live in hope, to live in joyous expectation of the day when God's kingdom will fully be revealed, fully present among us, a day when love will truly be Lord over all heaven and earth. A day when justice will roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. A day when suffering and death will be no more. And all our sorrow and flying will, all our sorrow and sighing will flee away. May we live enjoy joyous expectation of that day as if it were already here. Our lamps ready, brightly lit to greet our Lord.